I live in Bethlehem and we watch the many numbers of pilgrims who visit the Nativity Church where Jesus was born on a daily basis, thousands. But to, to visit the Nativity Church, you have to cross the checkpoint, uh, drive by uh, the ugly separation wall that separates Bethlehem from Jerusalem and takes most of the agricultural land in Bethlehem. And you drive by a refugee camp. And I've always wondered, do, do these pilgrims who come and visit us, do they care about what's happening? Welcome to Shake the Dust, leaving colonized faith for the kingdom of God, a podcast of KTF Press. My name is Jonathan Walton, and I'm here with Susie LaHood and Sai Hookstra. Susie, tell us about our guest. So today we're sitting down with Reverend Dr. Munthad Isaac. Reverend Munthad is the pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Christmas Church in Bethlehem. He's also the academic dean of Bethlehem Bible College and the director of the Christ at the Checkpoint Conference. He has published numerous articles on issues related to the theology of the land, Palestinian Christians in theology, holistic missions, and reconciliation. He is the author of the books, The Other Side of the Wall and From Land to Lands, From Eden to the Renewed Earth. He has also written a couple books in Arabic, like An Introduction to Palestinian Theology, as well as a commentary on the book of Daniel. Reverend Munthad originally studied civil engineering at Birzeit University in Palestine. He then obtained a master's in biblical studies from Westminster Theological Seminary and a PhD from the Oxford Center for Mission Studies. We talked to him about the recent violence in Palestine, the growing support for Palestinian human rights, Christian Zionism, the Christ at the Checkpoint Conference, anti-Semitism, and a whole lot more. Just a quick reminder, if you like this show and you want to support us, the best way to do that is to go to ktfpress.com and to subscribe to our blog. That gets you our weekly newsletter, bonus episodes of this show, and some other writing from the three of us. And it also goes towards uh, future book projects and other things that we're planning. And we're doing all that because we really do want to give you something that's really substantive for your subscription. So please head over to ktfpress.com and check that out if you're at all interested. And if you're not in a place to subscribe right now, then that's totally fine. We would just ask that you hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast player, whatever your podcast player says. Follow us at KTF Press on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Sign up for our free mailing list at ktfpress.com and uh, also tell your friends about us because that's a really great way to spread the word and help support the show. Thank you so much for anything you're able to do. We really, really appreciate it. Also, uh, we wanted to highlight for you all that we do have uh, an email address, shakethedust at ktfpress.com, that you can write into if you have any questions that have come up over the course of you listening to this show. We're going to do some episodes in future where the three of us are sort of processing through what we've heard from some of our guests and uh, also talking about just some of our our own topics. And we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you want to hear about um, and we want to hear your questions. So feel free to write in. Again, the email address is shakethedust at ktfpress.com. You can send in uh, your questions or your comments via email. You can also send them in via uh, a voice recording if you want. And we may we may um, play some of them on the show. We think that would be really cool if people wanted to do that. You can just record a voicemail on your phone and, and email it to us. Um, so thank you in advance for all of your wonderful, lovely questions that we know you all have. And now that that's out of the way, let's get right to it with Reverend Dr. Munther Isaac. 
Pastor Munter, thank you so much for joining us on Shake the Dust today. It's an honor to have you. Thank you. Uh, it's uh, my pleasure to, to join you. And just to, to start off our conversation, there are a lot of things that we want to dig into today and, and just take advantage of this opportunity to benefit from your vast expertise and experience. But before we launch into all of that, we want to acknowledge the recent trauma and violence that you and, and our brothers and sisters in Palestine have experienced recently. And so could you just give our listeners a sense of what the feeling is currently among Christians and others on the ground in Palestine regarding the recent spate of violence? Um, is, it, is it sort of a similar sense to other previous escalations? Um, just what, what are people feeling right now? How are they grappling with what's happened? If I may, if I can summarize it in one word or two, is that here we go again, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just to be clear, our uh, emotions, our Christians, are not uh, different to the uh, emotions or how uh, the rest of Palestinians feels, uh, because we are uh, Palestinians at the end of the day, and uh, we all go through this together. Uh, and so, when when uh, more cycles of violence, especially in Gaza, happen again. Uh, that's that's you know you, you just think Lord have mercy and uh, how long how much more can can people endure so much uh, suffering and and how much more can this land endure uh, injustice mm-hmm. uh, I mean the the uh, attack on Gaza has ended but the siege hasn't ended uh, and certainly the uh, threat of uh, forcibly uh, evacuating people from their homes in Jerusalem, whether in Sheikh Jarrah or in Silwan, is still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, hundreds of people uh, sleep tonight with the fear that this could be their last night in their homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that still goes on, and you wonder, uh, how much more, uh, Lord, can we endure this much? Uh, where are you, Lord, from all of this? Uh, and honestly, you know, the more you read about what's happening and, and you feel the pain of families who lost their loved ones, uh, for example, in Gaza and, and children, yeah. uh, the sentiment is uh, the world does not care, it seems, uh, to stop this. Mm-hmm. And we are easy to shift the blame uh, against the victim uh, and to uh, rationalize uh, what's happening. Uh, and at the end of the day, as I said, the siege is still there. And uh, it makes us wonder, uh, do people care? And um, this much of anger and frustration, uh, and if I now uh, just to speak briefly as a Christian, uh, here the Christian community, my fear is that uh, more and more people will leave, thinking that there is no future in this land, that this cycle of violence uh, will never end, and that uh, we are doomed as Palestinians to live uh, under occupation. Uh, and uh, so we continue to see people leaving. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as if all of this is not enough, we're still dealing with COVID, we're still dealing with high unemployment. Uh, these are not good days, uh, if I may put it this way, uh, for, uh, for Palestinians. Do you feel that the sense of, of despair is is increasing or is there any sort of sense of a glimmer of hope with regards to international solidarity with the Palestinian people? And specifically, I'm thinking of instances, 
you know, in light of the recent atrocities, the, the New York Times cover page with, you know, 65 Palestinian children who are killed in Gaza and things like that, do, do those offer any sense of, of greater support? Um, do you see any shifts in, in even the evangelical church in the United States, or is it still very much a sense of, of isolation and erasure and, and just being forgotten by the world? Um, there is certainly a change. Uh, but before that, I think uh, the real change is happening, uh, uh, I think, among Palestinians who uh, we are beginning to recognize that um, our destiny, if I may say, uh, relies more upon us and what we can do rather than on our political leadership or on the leaders of the world. Uh, the uh, latest events has shown Palestinians coming together, uh, unified more than ever, uh, including Palestinians who are citizens in the state of Israel, which was uh, a very interesting and surprising development. Uh, and uh, Palestinians using the social media to communicate their stories that uh, we are not uh, uh, simply fighting uh, Jews because we hate Jews and want to destroy Israel, but we're simply seeking our rights to live in our homes. We're seeking our uh, God-given uh, right for uh, freedom and dignity. Uh, and Palestinians in Jerusalem in particular were able to... Uh, stand up in the face of so many attempts to not just force them out of their homes, but to uh, subdue them. Uh, and all of this, I think, is, is resonating with many oppressed people around the world. And young people, especially, uh, are increasingly beginning to understand the plight of Palestinian, uh, of the Palestinian people. And certainly, uh, you are uh, right, Susie, in the sense that uh, I've never seen so much support of uh, Palestinian uh, rights uh, in the streets around the world. We've seen huge demonstrations. I'm so much encouraged by the increasing Jewish voices around the world, uh, uh, particularly in the United States, who are saying, uh, not in our name. Uh, and uh, even, you know, there are some articles about a small shift among uh, evangelicals I'm not holding my hopes high, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yes, we're beginning to see uh, at least a discussion happening among uh, evangelicals that, yes, it's been too long uh, for Palestinians and it's time to listen uh, to the plight. Uh, I'm not sure if you've uh, followed, but many Palestinian Christian leaders uh, have uh, spoken up very loudly about this. We've written articles, we've done interviews. Uh, we've been saying this for a while and we've been trying to uh, uh, speak on behalf of Palestinians, especially among uh, Christians around the world, feeling that we have a voice among uh, churches. Uh, and uh, as I said, it's time. It's time that we recognize the plights of Palestinians. And again, this is not uh, one voice over the other. We're not saying support Palestinians against Israelis. We're simply saying recognize our rights as, as Palestinians to live in dignity in our homeland, to live in our homes, uh, literally our homes, uh, and uh, to have the right for self-determination uh, uh, and, and live in dignity in our land. Absolutely. And with regards to, to 
what's been coming out, uh, your piece in Sojourners, your open letter was mm. in particular, I think, so powerful. We'll definitely include that in the show notes. But yep. yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And we we hope we can be whatever small part of shifting the conversation among evangelicals that we can. But um, so we, we appreciate you being here with us for that reason. No, thank you. Many times, all we ask people is, is to amplify our voices. We want to be heard and we want especially Christians to take our perspective and uh, even our existence. Uh, I feel oftentimes uh, churches, uh, especially evangelicals, but not just evangelicals, uh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as I said in the article, uh, write prophecy books, preach about this land, uh, and you get the impression that it's empty. Yeah. Uh, and and always saying we exist, we live on this land uh, as Palestinians, but also as Palestinian Christians. We are your sisters and brothers uh, in Christ. The least you could do is take our perspective and consider it. You, you might disagree with us, that's fine, but at least uh, uh, consider our existence. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's something we've been lamenting for a while. Uh, many Christians speak about our land, even today, as if it's empty. Uh, and see only one side of the story and celebrate, um, for example, what uh, they perceive, you know, uh, or what, how they speak about the faith, faithfulness of God towards the Jewish people, bringing them back to their land. Uh, even that language, bringing them back to their land, gives the impression that I now, as a Palestinian who've been living here for a long time, uh, have taken someone else's land. Uh, because apparently Palestinians didn't uh, get the memo that God promised this land uh, 4,000 years ago to the ancestors of Abraham, who, who are the Jews today. I mean, if you think of that perspective today, it's it's unthinkable. But that's the reality we're facing. Can you, you've written a lot about um, Christian Zionism uh, in your scholarship and, and elsewhere. Um, can you just define that? Because I think, especially in the West, a lot of times it's just sort of the air that we breathe. And so I think naming it and and defining what it is could be helpful for a lot of people. Christian Zionism, I mean, it's better not to try to give a uh, uh, a scientific or academic definition, because most people, as you said, who uh, we might characterize are Christian Zionists, don't even recognize it. They think that uh, to them, this is the only way of being a Christian. To them, to be a Christian is to support Israel. Uh, they read the Bible, uh, they read about Israel, God's people, and they assume that we should support Israel uh, today. So simply speaking, uh, uh, it's the belief that uh, the Bible commands us to support Israel, the, the modern state of Israel. Yeah. Uh, and in the minds of most people, they don't differentiate between the secular state of Israel and of today and the Israel of the Bible. Uh, they, uh, you know, many Christians, I always say, have this romantic view of the land uh, as if it's like uh, uh, the the biblical land, uh, the ancient, you, you know, you think as if nothing happened between biblical times and uh, and today and that the uh, uh, Israel of today is the uh, exact people and extension of the Israelites uh, uh, in the Bible. Uh, and then when you have preachers who feed this with 
statements like uh, if you bless Israel, God will bless you. And if you stand against Israel, God will curse you, which is a very common belief among many Christians. Uh, or statement that uh, the modern state of Israel is a fulfillment of prophecy. And again, these statements go uh, unchallenged uh, in churches and uh, they are the default positions uh, of, of many Christians who uh, don't even question uh, these, uh, uh, these beliefs. Uh, and so uh, at the end, Christian Zionism becomes more than just believing this about Israel because uh, it's supporting Israel politically and financially because you feel God will bless you when you do it and that this is the right thing uh, to do. And uh, one way to rationalize all of this is to connect it to a global battle between good and evil uh, with the forces of good being uh, the, the Judeo-Christian tradition, uh, which is honestly a, a code for cultural superiority especially when opposed to Islam, the Arabs, and that's how many Christians view the axis of evil uh, today. To me, this is a very unhealthy way of thinking. Uh, to me, this is a very unchristian way of thinking, where, uh, you know, Jesus commanded us to love all people equally and to, to love even our enemies and to seek to always build bridges. This uh, polarization is so unhelpful. Uh, and in many ways, uh, so dehumanizing towards Palestinians, we're always just the wrong on the wrong side. Uh, we're always to be blamed. We are the ones who started all of this, and 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 so on. Uh, and so, if you uh, analyze carefully the whole issue of Christian Zionism, it's more than just. The Bible tells us to support Israel, but it's more than there are the bad guys that we should. Uh, be careful of, and this is a, all a matrix of good versus evil. Uh, and that explains why uh, many evangelicals are so passionately supporting Israel, giving billions of dollars over the last uh, few years. Uh, I'm saying billions, not millions. Mm -hmm. uh, and lobbying on behalf of Israel. Uh, and it's no surprise that when uh, the previous American president, uh, Trump, made uh, the move uh, of the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, he was clear that he made this or he did this for the evangelicals yeah. uh, to please them because they were such a political uh, force in the United States during his, uh, his administration. Can you explain, um, I mean, you've already touched on this a little bit, but kind of why you reject the thinking that the modern state of Israel and the biblical Israel are the same and sort of what your uh, approach is, your alternative approach to thinking about um, human rights issues in Palestine from a biblical perspective. There are different reasons why uh, I cannot support Christian Zionism, not just as a Palestinian, but uh, as a Bible-believing uh, Christian. And before I, I try to explain this, I just want us to understand what we're talking about. Um, we as Christians, if those at least who believe in this, uh, are advocating that we solve uh, a very complicated conflict, uh, which is translated into uh, today an occupation and even an oppression of one people by the another. Uh, we are advocating to solve this by going back to 
the Bible and trying to answer the question, to whom did God promise the land and who are the ancestors of Abraham and uh, thinking that the right way of solving this is to determine who the right ancestors of Abraham are and they have the divine right to the land. I'm thinking, honestly, is this the most creative we can be as Christians and as peacemakers? Uh, and just try to get outside of uh, this and look from the outside in and to help you understand imagine if uh, uh, a, a people from mexico today show up in texas and say well we have this uh, for example tribal religion and four thousand years ago we have a text and uh, our god promised us texas so you texans get out this is our land but this is precisely what people are asking palestinians to accept that the land belongs to the Jews because the Bible said 4,000 years ago that belongs to Abraham and his offspring and the Jews are his offspring. And this is how we are to solve a political conflict today. Uh, put aside human rights, put aside international law, put aside the historical facts that people have been living in this land for hundreds of years and thousands of years. Uh, put aside, you know, so many other things about descendancy and who came from who and just uh, except this naive, sorry to say, uh, assumption that the Jews of today are the direct descendants of Abraham and because of that, this is their land. And again, I think as a Christian who lives here, uh, is this the best Christians can offer to us to solve this conflict, honestly? Uh, and so uh, before I, as I said, before I begin answering the question, I want us to understand what we're talking about. And, and second, now let's talk about, you know, what Christian Zionism is saying, because uh, one of the things I always uh, tell Christian Zionists, let us assume that you're right, that the Bible says this, uh, that you know what you're saying the Bible says actually applies, and this is uh, that God promised this land as a uh, uh, eternal possession, and Jews have a divine right to the land, and every Jew, wherever he's born, he has a divine right to come to this land and call it home. So what should I do as a Palestinian? That's my question. Should I, ex you know, leave? Should I accept to live as a second-class citizen in my homeland? What's your proposition? Because, you know, you are not talking about an empty land. <laughs> uh, I was just having a conversation with uh, uh, Protestant theologians just recently from uh, one church in Europe, and I said, uh, you speak in your documents about uh, Jews having a covenantal relationship to their land. Okay, that's your theology, God bless you. But that land you're talking about is not empty. We happen to be living here. What should I do? Uh, and you would notice most people don't know what to say or simply to say, well, international law. But that doesn't work, you know, because you're just giving a certain group of people a divine right to the land. Uh, if Muslims, by the way, use the same language, we will yes. not allow that. But now we're using the same language. Uh, and more importantly, we want to say, what about justice? Does it matter? What about human rights? Are you fine with Palestinians being expelled from their homes? I mean, when Israel was created, uh, between seven to 800,000 Palestinians became refugees. Now let, let that sink in. We're talking about seven to 800,000 Palestinians who became refugees. Uh, is that fair? And don't say, well, war, and this is the uh, 
nature of war because we Christians should be merciful and passionate and we should care. And second, these were not people who, you know, flee because of war. They were expelled from their homes. Uh, history says that. Is this fair? So uh, we cannot as Christians just simply read our Bibles, apply one verse to the modern state of Israel and say they have the right without dealing with the consequences. Uh, one of the questions we always say, what is the gospel to Palestinians? How do you then communicate to Palestinians mm -hmm. that God so loved the world? Does that include us? Or uh, because we have the wrong uh, uh, postal address, uh, that's our that's our fault. Um, and, 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 you know, over the years, I, I've spent a much deal of time studying this question. Does the Bible actually say that? And believe me, it's not that simple. And we've written a lot as uh, uh, Palestinian theologians and others uh, from the Bible trying to answer this question. Uh, uh, for example, one of the things that I always uh, ask, what about the New Testament's claims about uh, uh, the descendants of Abraham, that in Christ there are neither no Jew nor Greek, that actually Abraham has one offspring who is Christ, and that in Christ we are heirs according to the promise. What about the many promises of uh, uh, an expansion of, of, of universal promises of the whole land and, uh, and so on? Were the promises conditional or unconditional? In other words, uh, uh, I'm not just speaking as a Palestinian here, uh, I think uh, many biblical scholars have uh, easily shown that it's not that simple, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And uh, as I said, we can delve so much deeper into these questions about the descendants of Abraham, who they are, what is the land that they inherit, uh, do we actually possess anything as as humans, uh, you know? In in the Bible, uh, God emphasized that the land is mine. Uh, it does not become a possession. That's in Leviticus 25. You cannot sell it as if it's your property. Uh, the land in the Bible, and I'm talking only from the Hebrew scripture. I mean, I'm not even going to the New Testament. Uh, demands justice. If there is no justice in the land, you know, Deuteronomy 16, 20 is, is one verse that comes to mind. Justice and only justice you shall follow that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord God is giving you. So in other words, without justice, no one can claim any right to any land. Uh, Leviticus says, if you do certain abominations, the land will vomit you out. Because this is uh, the way I write about it always. This is a land that demands holiness. This is a land that demands justice. Uh, this is a land that demands that you are faithful to the covenantal obligations. And on top of these covenantal obligations is to care for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, for the oppressed. I mean, there are so many wonderful things uh, in the Bible about the ethics of the land uh, and then how we translate them, I think, as Christians, uh, as the kingdom ethics. Uh, and, and one of the things I wish Christians and especially evangelicals invest in is rather than trying to predict uh, uh, the end times and looking mm -hmm. at our land in the lens of prophecy, mm -hmm. that they look at it through the lens of peacemaking. Uh, yeah. through the lens of kingdom ethics, the Sermon on the Mountain. Uh, imagine if we have invested in this rather than, uh, I mean, I always say the book, uh, uh, the Left Behind series, I think uh, I, I, it sold more than 60 million copies or more. 
I think that's, uh, I mean, I, I wish 60 million copies are sold from a book uh, on peacemaking or on justice or on, on mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we're fast obsessed, the uh, evangelical community, with prophecy. And if this energy uh, was uh, invested in peacemaking, I, you know, I actually believe we could have made a difference. I actually believe the church, the global church, could have made a difference. And that's why we continue to lament here. If you talk to many Christian activists and theologians and leaders, we would say that the global church has been part of the problem uh, rather than uh, uh, trying to be part of the solution. If if you could recommend to listeners uh, a, a couple of Palestinian theologians, if they wanted to go deeper on this subject, who would you recommend? Well, I would... Um, Certainly recommend uh, my dear friend Johanna Katanashul. Um, he's uh, from Jerusalem now, lives in Nazareth, and he's written so many good books. Uh, the Land of Christ is one uh, that immediately comes uh, to mind. Again, the name is Johanna Katanashul. Um, I have, as I said, written uh, several books on these uh, topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would also recommend a very good book by my good friend Salim Munayer, who he has written uh, with a Messianic Jewish uh, uh, believer, uh, her name is Lisa Loden, uh, Through My Enemy's Eyes, was tried to bring the two perspectives uh, uh, in uh, in dialogue and prepare, propose a vision for, uh, for peacemaking. And, uh, of course, a very, uh, uh, you know, important voice, I would say, and challenging voice, uh, to many Christians today that has, uh, you know, made so many Christians rethink uh, the whole way they read the Bible is uh, Mitri Rahib, uh, who has written several books. Uh, I am a Palestinian Christian is, is, is an old one, but it's still a good one. Uh, and more recently, Faith in the Face uh, of the Empire. Um, and, um, you, 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 you're asking me to speak about my favorite topic, which is you know, Christian theology in the Palestinian context. So I can give so many other uh, suggestions, maybe just one more or two more. Justice and Only Justice is a wonderful book by uh, Naim Atik uh, and uh, probably one of the most influential books by Palestinian Christians is uh, the story of uh, Father Shakur, Blood Brothers. Uh, it's, it's a must read for uh, most Christians. Okay, I'm going to put... I have just decided I'm going to put links to all of those in the show notes for this episode. So listeners, if you want a convenient way to order those books, they will be in in your podcast player. Um, Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. No, no, it's, it's, you just gave us like a whole syllabus. So uh, (laughs) yeah. What a great opportunity to decolonize your library. Right. Totally. Yes. I have so many thoughts, but mostly just, deep, deep appreciation. Um, as we, you know, pull back, you know, or, or I guess go deeper uh, into like how the present day connects with just so much theology and history that you are sharing. Um, what I'm wondering is um, how does that all connect to why you started at Christ at the Checkpoint and the conference and what its goals are? Um, because I think it, there's just a, a lot of richness there that you've turned into something very practical and ongoing. And so could you unpack Christ at the Checkpoint, the conference, and what its goals are? Yeah, sure. So um, Christ at the Checkpoint, for uh, those who don't know, is is a conference um, uh, 
uh, and a movement, I would say, more than just a conference that we do every two years. Uh, we, as, as the Bethlehem Bible College, uh, the Bethlehem Bible College is, is, is where I am now the academic dean, and uh, I lead this conference. Uh, this started, I mean, the first conference took place in 2010, but this started before. Uh, we, as, as a Bible college in Bethlehem, uh, started by Palestinians, by the way, and led by Palestinians, but uh, Palestinians with, uh, um, uh, we had the way we describe it, a, an evangelical DNA. Uh, we're interdenominational Bible college, but we're not, you know, affiliated with one particular church or denomination, but clearly with an evangelical DNA. Uh, and over the years, because of this, we would uh, attract many visitors from around the world, many evangelical visitors who uh, are, you know, very uh, warm, uh, good intentions. They want to support us. Uh, they want to help us uh, teach the Bible to our students. But at the same time, they want to educate us that this land belongs to Israel. Uh, and oftentimes we uh, engage in discussions about the Bible, uh, and that leads to discussions about the modern-day reality. And we've discovered that uh, so many Christian leaders have strong opinions about this land, but very, very limited knowledge about the reality on the ground. Yeah. And and they have not just not even you know been to the Palestinian side and try to see things the way we see them and and live in our shoes, but also they have never thought or pondered the concept of a, a different way of reading scripture, uh, and so this led over the years to many first private conversations, then discussions, then the Bible College developed uh, the idea of hosting church groups and seminary students to lectures. Uh, and ultimately, uh, we uh, decided to hold a conference. I remember very well, we thought, let's have a conference on the theology of the land. And uh, the idea came from uh, uh, Alex Awad, who's a Baptist pastor. Uh, uh, and that's another name you want to uh, search for. He has a book called uh, Palestinian Memories. So one more book to add to the library, Alex Awad's <laughs> book. Uh, and uh, I remember Reverend Alex said, let's have a discussion about the theology of the land. Let's invite our evangelical friends and uh, discuss the Bible, but not discuss it in a vacuum, discuss it in light of the context. And hence the idea Christ at the checkpoint. We wanted to ask what would Christ say or do if he is to stand in front of a checkpoint today? Uh, what would he say to the Palestinians crossing the checkpoint or to the Israeli soldier stopping him at, uh, at the checkpoint. So the idea was, uh, let's study the Bible at the checkpoint. Uh, and more importantly, let's invite all groups to this. So we invited Christian Zionists. Uh, we didn't just talk among ourselves. Uh, we wanted to have a conversation and say, listen, your theology is having actual impact on our lives. Uh, so try to understand the reality. And as I said, um, what about the way Jesus reads these promises? What about justice? What about uh, is, is, you know, uh, so we wanted also to challenge the theology of Christian Zionism. Uh, the conference grew and uh, we've had uh, one every two years, uh, with the exception of last year, obviously, because of COVID-19. Right. And as some conferences we've had, 
I would say between five to 600 participants. So it became a major international conference that uh, I think uh, made many uh, Christians and especially evangelicals, uh, you know, to begin question uh, their beliefs and, and listen more seriously to Palestinian Christians. Uh, but also made so many others and maybe more evangelical Christians uh, honestly more hostile and uh, attacking us in writing uh, and in lobbying and encouraging people not to come to Bethlehem or not to visit the Bible College and certainly not to attend Bethlehem Bible College. Uh, you would be shocked uh, by uh, the uh, amount of attacks we've received from Christians and the a sense of hostility in these attacks, uh, calling us uh, all sorts of things, uh, even you know, uh, and 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 labeling us and and discouraging people from engaging, uh, engaging with us. Uh, from all of this, you know, uh, came my idea of the, uh, you know, in, in my book, the other side of the wall, in that people try to. Uh, encourage you know discourage people from crossing the wall to uh, uh, engaging with those on the other side and by the other side I don't just mean physically but I mean in that we as Palestinians have always been marginalized whether in theology books in uh, the way pilgrimage is done uh, in the way you know we think of people as as classes uh, and uh, you know, it's as if we write on one side of the wall, uh, terrorists, uh, replacement theologians, anti-Semites, theological, uh, you know, socialists we've been called, uh, political or theological terrorism, and so many things we've been called, so that people don't talk to us. Uh, but despite that, we continue to uh, have these conversations. We continue to challenge uh, uh, beliefs that discriminate against people. Uh, we continue to challenge beliefs that uh, really give the impression that people are classes uh, or that God cares about certain people more than others because of their nationality or ethnicity. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, we're grateful for the many uh, uh, leaders and especially younger leaders who join us in these conferences, who are beginning to understand our perspective and promote it uh, in especially in the sense that, uh, as I said, and I will continue to repeat, uh, our message is not to destroy Israel or is not against the Jews. Our message is, is simply against the the, uh, the modern Zionist movement in its uh, uh, exclusive and even let's call it racist uh, policies uh, against non-Jews. Uh, and our end goal is to live side by side with, with Israelis. But we believe that the occupation is the problem. And we believe that certain laws in the state of Israel are uh, racist and are creating a reality of discrimination. They are to be challenged. Uh, and, and I think it's because of that that many uh, people are uh, 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 drawn to our message because it's not simply a message of victimization, but a message of hope about a reality in which we share, uh, we share the land. Yeah, if I can ask a, a follow-up question to that, since, you know, it started in 2010, and, you know, so that's, like, 11 years every other year. If you were to describe, like, any changes or an arc or more opposition, less opposition, more camaraderie, like, what are there any patterns that have emerged 
in the last decade that you've been engaged with the conference and speakers from around the world? We certainly sense some change among uh, many Christian leaders, evangelical leaders, more so among the younger generation, among uh, seminary students um, and many pastors. Uh, I wouldn't claim that we changed all evangelicals. Uh, we are a small college in Bethlehem who are blessed to have this opportunity to engage with hundreds of evangelical leaders and students every uh, every two years. Um, and I think that I believe in, in how Jesus put it, in that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And sometimes we say that uh, we should be encouraged by uh, small changes here and there. But I think it's more than we should be encouraged. It's that this is how things happen, you know, like a small mm -hmm. mustard seed that grows and that multiplies gradually. So my hope is that we are uh, creating a, a movement. Uh, and we've always knew that it's not going to be easy. We've always knew that it takes time. Uh, actually, we've lost supporters as, as, as a Bible college. Uh, uh, we've lost so much financial support from uh, previous partners who all of a sudden think we are political and we shouldn't say these things. Uh, of course, they can be political, but we cannot. Um, and I think, and, and here is the, the irony to me, is that the biggest change, the way at least I see it happened among us as Palestinians because we realized that uh, we are more than capable of challenging uh, the global mm -hmm. church with a, uh, a grassroots theology. You know, I, I used to think of Palestinian theology as this, you know, uh, small contextual attempts to read the Bible, but more so I'm beginning to think, no, we, we you know, uh, every theology is, is dealing, trying to understand uh, its context. Every theology is is as legitimate. And I think we felt a sense of empowerment uh, as a Palestinian yeah. church. Again, despite our small numbers, despite our very, very limited resources, uh, but I feel that we are beginning to embrace our calling. Uh, and we are beginning to embrace the, the idea that we have a message. Uh, and that message is not only to our people. And believe me, we are doing the best we can with what we have and with God's grace and spirit to be uh, good uh, witnesses to the gospel in our land. But we also feel we have a message to the world and to the global church. Uh, and we have accepted, if I may say it, uh, uh, this calling uh, to try to help uh, and, and challenge perspectives uh, around, uh, uh, around the world. Uh, there are so many things that we are now challenging. Uh, it's not simply about Palestine and Israel to me. Uh, it's about our uh, compassion to justice as Christians. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the fact that so many Christians uh, have become uh, apathetic, if I may use this word. We don't care about the suffering. And my situation in Palestine opened my eyes to this reality. You know, uh, I live in Bethlehem and uh, we watch the many numbers of uh, pilgrims who visit the Nativity Church where Jesus was born on a daily basis, thousands. 
And of course, if, if it wasn't for the Church of the Nativity, most of these pilgrims wouldn't even think of coming to a Palestinian town or city. But to, to visit the Nativity Church, you have to cross the checkpoint, uh, drive by uh, the ugly separation wall that separates Bethlehem from Jerusalem and takes most of the agricultural land in Bethlehem, confiscates it. And you drive by a refugee camp. And I've always wondered, do, do these pilgrims who come and visit us, do they care about what's happening? And it's just a reminder that we Christians can be sometimes too religious, but not care and not have concern for the oppressed and for justice. And uh, uh, as I said, you know, uh, you know, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, but we just want to do a religious duty. And uh, my, my point is that we feel today that we have a message to the world that we should be concerned. We should lament. I, I write a lot about lamenting and uh, a church that has lost the capacity or the uh, God's gift to us of, of lamentation. And uh, I, I say a gift because it's a gift that moves us to action and to do our best to change uh, things uh, and so far. So yes, on the one hand, we manage to challenge perspectives and to bring the Palestinian voice to many new circles. And also, uh, I feel we have been empowered uh, by the Spirit to challenge the church and to uh, feel that we have a message uh, to give. Thank, thank you for expounding on that. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And I know I can certainly uh, share firsthand experiences from, from friends that I've spoken to who, who attended the Christ at the Checkpoint conference and, and found it to be deeply, deeply transformative. So again, thank you for, for the important work that you're doing and for the, on top of everything else that that you have to, to experience and go through that you're making this additional sacrifice to be faithful to that, that calling. Um, yeah, thank you. And one, one thing I wanted to, to touch on that, that you sort of hit on briefly that I think is so important is as we seek to grapple with this as, as Christians having a sense of history and, and that many of these ideas are, are so recent. Uh, you mentioned the theology of the rapture, and that's a fairly new theology, even though it's very much in vogue right now in, in American white evangelicalism. And, and I remember to Sai's point about how Christian Zionism has become, unfortunately, just sort of the air that we breathe in a lot of white evangelical churches in the United States. The, the first time that my eyes were sort of open to the fact that I had been brought up in that atmosphere was in a, a course that I took in college taught by a phenomenal Jewish anthropologist who opened my eyes to the, the other side of the story that I had completely missed. And, and so again, I just encourage our listeners to, to dig into these rich resources that Pastor Munter has shared, to dig into the history, to dig into the theology, to ask good, hard questions. Um, and and one final question that we want to ask you, Pastor Munther, and th this is a challenging one for a lot of folks, but I think that's why it's, it's important to address it directly, is, it, again, looking at recent history, over the past decade or so, we've seen this rise of far-right nationalism in, in Europe and in the United States, and that has corresponded to a rise in horrific forms of racism and xenophobia and Islamophobia and also anti-Semitism. 
And so historically, it's it's been the case and remains today that a lot of people who would otherwise sympathize with the plight of the Palestinian people are nervous or afraid to criticize the state of Israel for fear of falling into anti-Semitism or even just being labeled as anti-Semitic. So could you could you respond to that fear? Because I feel like this is something you try to address through your work. Yes, um, I think this is a very important uh, uh, question and, and issue. And let me just begin by saying um, it's actually good to have this fear or sentiment, and, and say, because it's it's a legitimate concern. Anti-Semitism is real, uh, and I think you are right when you say that it's on the rise. Um, um, and and so this compels us as Christians to uh, who want to uh, be faithful to Jesus's commandments to love our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, and not to fall into the sin of racism. This compels us to always examine not just our language, but our motivations. With that said, I think it's also important that we differentiate between criticism of Israel, uh, uh, legitimate criticism of Israel, and uh, uh, and anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only does Israel is not the representation of all Jews, uh, but we're here talking about uh, a secular state that wants to abide within the international law. And if they don't, then we have every right to call them out. And we have every right to even uh, resist uh, their policy if they are uh, not legal. And I think uh, there is a big difference between uh, uh, you know, criticizing Israel and, uh, and anti-Zionism, even... You know, uh, opposing Zionism to me is is not anti-Semitism because Zionism not only does not represent uh, all Jews, uh, but Zionism is a political movement. Uh, yes, and, and we should be clear. Uh, we should be clear about that. Um, my my biggest concern today is that many people use anti-Semitism to silence any criticism or any. Uh, who's sympathetic with the Palestinians and we should not allow that and actually there are today many uh, Jewish voices uh, that are uh, speaking out uh, against this uh, notion that anti-Zionism or criticizing Israel is anti-Semitism uh, and saying that this actually undermines uh, the horrors of anti-Zionism anti-Semitism uh, mm-hmm. more recently um, the Jerusalem Declaration on Anti-Semitism just a few months ago actually uh, emphasizes that not only criticism against Israel, but even nonviolent resistance and boycotting goods and calling for sanctions on Israel, uh, even though the authors of this declaration might not agree with this, but to them that's not anti-Semitism. And I think it's important uh, and brave uh, for these many, many Jewish leaders and organizations to uh, say this, uh, to say this openly. And on this topic, I want to add at least uh, two or three things. First, it, you know, as I said earlier in, in the podcast, some of the strongest voices supporting Palestinian rights today are actually Jewish voices. Uh, if you look at uh, the American context, one of the 
uh, uh, you know, rising groups in the United States is Jewish Voices for Peace. And uh, it's very active in universities and younger uh, Jews in the United States, as I said, are, are uh, openly criticizing Israel, especially now that Israel has been controlled in the previous years with a very right-wing nationalistic uh, government, uh, Jewish Voices for Peace even calls for boycotting Israel. I mean, it's it's, it's support for BDS. So, and again, this is not a small or marginal group. This is a growing uh, uh, voice. Uh, I always find it interesting that, uh, in from my perspective as a Palestinian, the bravest American politician to really speak. Uh, for Palestinian rights. And I say bravest because it could be costly. It could cost you a lot in America, uh, uh, especially in American politics, if you uh, are sympathetic with Palestinians. Uh, but one of the most strongest voices today is Bernie Sanders. Uh, and he's been very, very, uh, uh, not, I don't want to say progressive, but uh, really courageous. I would even use the word prophetic in his uh, support for, uh, for Palestinians. Uh, and that, you know, drives me to the uh, idea of uh, many times Christians, uh, whenever they, you know, want to engage with Jewish theology and Jewish voices, uh, seem to ignore these voices that are either critical of Israel or uh, Zionism or are uh, uh, passionate about justice for uh, Palestinians. And uh, in my book, I talk about the other Jewish neighbor trying to challenge Christians who are only listening to one voice within the Jewish family, to listen to all the voices within uh, the Jewish family. And, and my second point on this question on anti-Semitism, my other point is that um, have people actually analyzed and studied carefully what Christian Zionists are saying about Jews? <laughs> because many, many expression of Christian Zionism is actually can be described as anti-Semitic. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, among the many, uh, you know, some of the prominent uh, uh, Christian Zionist leaders or theolog theologians or books, uh, to them, uh, the end time scenario is that two thirds of the Jews will be massacred. And then the other third will convert to Christianity. And I think, how is that a Jewish-friendly theology? You know, can you imagine if I, as a Palestinian pastor, stand in a conference and say, I predict that one day two-thirds of the Jews will be massacred and the other third will convert to Christianity. I will be crucified and labeled anti-Semitic for saying such a thing. But this is the exact thing that many Christian Zionists are saying today. Mm -hmm. And I can't help but think, how is this... You know, uh, how are these friends to Israel or to, to Jews? Um, and certainly, to many Christians, Jews are merely an object in their eschatology or end-time theology. Yeah. Uh, again, right. this is not helpful. To me, the, the, the right way and, the, and the, the Christian way to deal with all people groups is um, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think if we fail to see this as Christians and apply it uh, and just relate to our Jewish neighbors uh, in how we perceive their future is in our eschatology, uh, I think we're committing, uh, uh, to be honest, I think to be, we're committing a sin uh, towards these, uh, 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 to our Jewish uh, neighbors.
You know, um, with as as you said, uh, with the rise of anti-Semitism, uh, uh, many Christians are speaking out, and uh, I just want to show and and give two examples of why I don't think, why I think that uh, there still is a problem within many evangelical voices, even those who want to support Jews, uh, but yet, in my opinion. Um, have a misguided uh, approach. Um, in, in my book, I deal with two examples in the wake of an attack um, on a synagogue in Pittsburgh that happened a few years ago, and uh, 11 uh, Jews were uh, uh, killed, murdered while praying in, in a synagogue. I think I think 11, but I could be uh, mistaken. But the idea is that there was two articles that caught my attention. Uh, the titles of these two articles were almost identical. One said, um, if you hate Jews, you hate Jesus. Uh, with the rationale uh, that Jesus was Jewish, uh, he was risen from the dead and ascended as a Jew, and so if you hate Jews today, you hate one of the Jews who is Jesus. Uh, the other article was, if you love uh, Jesus, you would love Jews because based on Roman 11th, all Israel shall be saved. This means that at one day, uh, Jews will come to Jesus because he loves them. So if you love Jesus, you should love all Jews. Uh, and uh, I, I support the conclusions, but I, I don't like how we got there. And this explains how many evangelicals view the Jewish people. Uh, with the first article, if you hate Jews, you hate Jesus, I say, what if for the sake of argument and for the sake of argument only, Jesus was not Jewish? Uh, would it then be okay for us to hate the Jewish people? Right, right. You, you see the, the, so why do we have to use this logic that because Jesus was Jewish, we have to, to love the Jewish people? And the second article, you know, what if... Uh, Romans 11 actually uh, does not predict that Jews will come to faith in Christ. What if actually, you know, this is a wrong interpretation and we discover that we were wrong and that no Jews will not come to faith in Christ, then we don't have to love them? Uh, is, mm -hmm. is that the logic? Um, and, and the idea that if you love Jesus, uh, you love uh, Jews as well. Shouldn't that apply to all people? If you love Jesus, you love uh, Hindus and, uh, and and Muslims and uh, native people and uh, all people groups, right? Uh, or if you uh, hate uh, all people groups, any people group, you hate Jesus as well. Uh, and, and I hope I hope you get my idea here. Is that in many circles who see or give the impression that they are promoting a theology that is favorable to the Jews. I, I, I feel we're, we're actually still looking at Jews as this special category and we have to justify why we have to support them uh, or, uh, or love them. Um, and, and just maybe one, one final comment on this question. I know uh, I gave too many points on this, but I think it's important. Uh, to me, uh, supporting Palestinians and supporting Palestinians get... Uh, uh, their right uh, and uh, live in peace uh, side by side by the Israelis is actually in the best interests of uh, Israelis uh, as well. Uh, mm -hmm. And so we don't, as I said, we don't want uh, uh, people to 
support Palestinians and you know stand against Israel and call for the destruction of Israel. And I hope people, as I said, see it that it is for the best interest of all people of this land that there is peace in this land. And so in a way, supporting Palestinian rights and achieving justice uh, for uh, Palestinians is in the best interest of all people of the land, Jews, Muslims, Christians, uh, and uh, Palestinians and Israelis. Uh, South African uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu won a Nobel Prize for his fight against uh, apartheid, uh, you know, says that uh, the, the sustainability of Israel as a homeland for the Jewish people has always been dependent on its ability to deliver justice to the Palestinians. Uh, and I think this is so important to grasp with, uh, the idea that uh, it is for the best interest of everyone that there's justice and equality uh, in this land. And it's certainly not anti-Semitic uh, to support Palestinian rights uh, uh, and Palestinian freedom. I'm wondering, um, so uh, Reverend Munther, you, um, you asked people to pray for Jerusalem. And I, I'm wondering if, if Susie, you could pray for Jerusalem um, to kind of close, like to one way of closing us. And then, um, Muthi, you also talked about um, just the church in America. And I'm wondering if you, if you could also pray for us. Because I do think they are, the seas are shifting. Um, and, and I think it's you know, only the spirit of God that will allow the this, this seas to continue to shift. My prayer is that we would be able to stay in it um, and engage for a long time. And I'd like to ask for your intercession in that. Sure. Yeah, let's let's do it. Go for it, Susie. Okay, let's pray. Of course, I want you to do an Arabic FYI, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Munter, you'll have to forgive my Arabic, uh, but... Yeah, let's let's pray together. Abena Nushkarak la Haidel Forsa la Nahkema Asis Munter Nushkarak la Hakmataho la Hidmataho U Banansale Bareke Hasa ala Hayetaho U ala Shabal Palestine Nushkarak Liano Inta Arib and Kil Elb Maksur U Kil Shab Mazlum U Natrajek تعطي سلام وعدل وشفاء في في فلسطين وإسرائيل في اسم يسوع المسيح آمين آمين and Lord uh, I pray that you raise uh, voices and 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 prophets and among uh, Christians uh, here and everywhere and especially in the United States who are compassionate for justice who are merciful and thirsty for righteousness and truth and justice and who takes seriously uh, your commandment uh, to be peacemakers uh, for this is how we are called uh, your children uh, your daughters and sons and i pray that uh, the church realizes its its potential to uh, make change and and impact lives uh, through the work of the kingdom through a mission and through uh, investing in peace and in uh, in a vision of of a shared land where all of God's people uh, live in dignity and peace and harmony. May your will 
be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Pastor Martha, for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today. Check out the links to all the resources in our show notes from Palestinian theologians mentioned in the episode. Subscribe to our blog at ktfpress.com and follow us on social media to keep up with everything that's happening at KTF Press. And as Sai mentioned at the top of the show, please email shakethedust at ktfpress.com with your questions written or recorded as a voice memo. We'd love to hear from you. Our theme song is by John Guerra. It's called Citizens. And our amazing podcast art is by Jacqueline Tam. Thank you so much again, and we will see you next week. When we arrive as immigrants, and you call us citizens, and you welcome us as children home.